What an exciting day, and uh, I got to be honest, I said, uh, as much preparation has gone into uh, getting ready for today, uh, I certainly wasn't prepared emotionally uh, for what we were going to experience here this morning, but it has been amazing, and uh, we are so grateful uh, for all of you and for our great God and for his leadership and provision all of these years. I mean, it really is a good thing, and today is a good day, and it really is a, a celebration and, um, and a great story, and I, I just want to thank you this morning uh, for being a part of it, and uh, I'm, I'm going to push some of you a little bit. You're going to have to do some thinking. We've been having these conversations around the room as people have been coming in just asking that question, well, when did we join in, or uh, where, what year was it along the way, and so I know you're not going to love this, but I'm going to call a few of you out. If you sat in that apartment complex at Pebble Brook and uh, dreamt about this day. And I think Mike and Emily, you might be the only ones here. Where are you, Mike and Emily? I'm just going to call you out by name and make you stand. Where are they? No, you got to stand up. You can't just wave your hand. Stand up. There's Mike and Emily in the back. Keep standing. I won't make you stand by yourself for long. I know Tom and Shelly weren't able to be here with us today. Um, I got a chance to have lunch with Justin this past week. I mean, they, the Lord laid a vision on their hearts and on your hearts of helping people find their way back to God in Hamilton County and beyond. And I hope that today is special for you as you just look around the room and see a fraction of what God has been doing. And so thank you for saying yes. Thanks for being a part of it all. And for those that are watching online that were a part of those early days, we are so grateful for you. Now keep standing. If you started coming to Genesis within those first couple of years, maybe at Grace Church, uh, we met at Bridgeway for a little bit, or the Arbitorium, go ahead and stand up. If you were in those uh, Cary Ridge Elementary, stand up. Come on, just stand up for a few minutes if you would. And just look at this crew here. Keep standing. Don't sit down. Uh, this, is, this is a special day, I know, for all of you as well. And uh, you, you signed up to serve as a part of a church plant. That was before the days of signing up for once a month or twice a month. It was every day, all right? It was every week. Uh, you've been a part of the work, and we're setting up on Sunday mornings and uh, moving from place to place as Genesis was, was kind of seeking a home, a home uh, that, that, that would kind of be established for a period of time. Thank you. Thanks for being a part of the work. Keep standing. If you started attending around the time Genesis uh, was the Noblesville campus, because it used to just be Noblesville right there at 1702 Pleasant, you know, maybe, maybe stand up. Maybe you've been coming to Genesis for about 15 years now. Go ahead and stand up. Figure yourself out. Come on. Everybody's going to have to stand, all right? Just thanks these folks. You, uh, you, you watched the Lord uh, do some amazing things, some early growth in our church, and then this vision for a second campus. If you were a part of that Carmel team, all right, if you came in those first few years of the Carmel campus, go ahead and stand up, all right, back in 2012, look around the room and see some of those that uh, were a part of the launch of the Carmel campus. And I don't really know where to bring this to an end, and I know it's just awkward for everybody, so go ahead and sit down now if you want, but uh, thank you to all of you, whether you came in just the last few years. Uh, you're a big part of the work that God has been doing through Genesis Church, and uh, we are so grateful for you. We're excited for what's been accomplished, and we're definitely looking forward uh, to what's ahead for our church family. Um, 
our staff. We, we've got staff here today, uh, staff and families. We've got some that used to serve on staff that are now doing some other great things for the Lord. I'm just going to ask our staff to stand for just a moment. Would you just stand your families too? Uh, and if you used to serve on staff... They're good people. You guys can have a seat. I'm so thankful for all of you. You know, we, we talk about um, the calling, and I know that uh, it's more than just you, but for your families as well. And I just want to say thank you for saying yes to Genesis and for uh, joining us in the work. You know, we know that it takes more than staff, but you live in it day after day after day. And I'm so grateful that God brought you to this place and to this ministry. And uh, it's been fun. It's fun serving together as a team. And for those of you that have moved on to some new callings, uh, we're excited for you. We're grateful you're still part of our team uh, in a special way. Um, the Lord called my family to Genesis 15 years ago, and uh, we were living in Louisville, Kentucky at the time, serving at a church that we really loved, and uh, Jerry was serving there too, Kevin Russell was serving there, that's how we got to know each other, but uh, as much as we love that church, uh, we were praying about a next step that we believed the Lord had one more place in mind for us, a, a church, a place that we would call home for a really, really long time, and um, I'm really grateful for my wife, my wife, uh, she prays very faithfully. Um, a long time ago, uh, a pastor friend of mine, youth pastor, he said to me, he said, Paul, one of the greatest pieces of advice that I can give you as a pastor is listen to your wife. And, uh, and he was kind of being funny, but he wasn't being funny either. But he said, you know, it is a partnership. And in many ways, the Lord is going to speak through your wife. Uh, about next steps and the years to come. Well, we had been praying for, uh, uh, you know, potentially another move, and Jenny could tell you where we were on I-69. It was the Noblesville exit when she was praying. We were on our way to Fort Wayne, and she felt like the Lord said, I'm taking care of this. I've got something for you. And little did we know, a short time later, Genesis would call, and uh, I'm so glad that they did. I'm so glad everybody else said no, and uh, you were down to your last candidate, but... Uh, I speak for Jenny, our family, and I always say we love being a part of this church family, and we love uh, doing life with all of you. And I know I speak for the elders and staff when I say that we couldn't do any of this work without you. Like, you, you serve and make Sundays very special. You, you serve with our students and kids. Many of you lead groups in your home and welcome others. You work behind the scenes. Uh, you work around the buildings and in the office. You've gone on a mission trip with us over the years. You've given time to serve with a local partner. You give generously and faithfully. Man, we were just doing a little bit of research over the past couple of weeks, something like two to two and a half million dollars given away over the last uh, 20 years to ministry partners around the world. You got to hear thanks from a lot of them at the beginning of the service. You're living as kingdom workers in this community, a big part of the reason why this room fills up today, get this, since 2010. We've been taking really good records since 2010. Since 2010, we've baptized 515 people as a church family. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) 
I'm thinking about the Apostle Paul's words in Philippians chapter 1. He was writing to the church at Philippi. We're going to talk about them for a few minutes this morning. Here's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1 verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I just want to say thank you this morning for your partnership with us in the gospel. You're making a difference in people's lives, not only in this community, but all around the world. And we all know this, and I hope that you haven't missed this as we've said it along the way. We don't get to this place today apart from the faithfulness of God. And it's been the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. It's the power of the gospel message at work in all of our lives it's the work of Jesus that makes all of the difference and why we're here today. Pray with me for just a moment. Father in heaven, we do give you thanks and praise for this day. There are words that I think I wanted to say before I walked up on stage and I've already forgotten them. But uh, uh, Lord, I, I pray that uh, our church family would just would, would, would experience your blessing uh, in their lives today. But it is all for you, Lord, because we don't get here today without you. And so thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit, and most importantly, the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that changes everything. Be glorified in this place today, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, my wife reminded me yesterday, remember there are going to be a lot of kids in the room, so get to the point. So we're going to move quickly today uh, as we jump back into the New Testament book of Acts for a few minutes. It's perfect today, a great example of God's faithfulness, the power of the Holy Spirit, and certainly the gospel message of Jesus. Here's my prayer. My prayer is that God will use these words today to remind us why we do what we do, and I hope motivate us for what's ahead, not just as a church, but also in a very personal way. A quick review, book of Acts is a history book. It's really a sequel to the life of Jesus. It picks up with the ascension of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, and then the next 28 chapters cover about 30 years in the early church's history. And it's fascinating, really, to see how God used a small group of men and women, a group who had no money, no fame, no fancy church facility. There was no worship band or Sunday morning bagels either, but they did have something greater. Each of them had encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so so this early group of people, they went out sent by the Holy Spirit and they turned the world upside down and we're here today because they were faithful and I hope you, like me, want others to encounter Jesus and hopefully join us 20 years from now because we were faithful with the mission too. Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be. We're following, if you've been reading along, the Apostle Paul. His team is now comprised of Silas and Timothy and likely Luke. And the first verses of Acts 16 describe a time of discerning and prayer about where the Lord was leading them and, and kind of like where we are today as a church. We, we've got a lot of, to celebrate, all right? We're, we're doing that all morning long. But, but we know this, the work isn't finished. Our, our elder team uh, we've got a great group of, of elders, a group of men. We were meeting together the other night just giving thanks to God for all that's been accomplished these last 20 years. But there's this growing sense in our elders. I know there's this growing sense in our staff. I sense it in many of you that we aren't finished, that we are just getting started with the work, that God's got more. He's got more he wants to accomplish in our lives and through our lives, add to it. Our church is growing right now. Our campuses are growing. We've got to be careful of this, that we could get lazy. We could 
get very complacent about the mission, and our community needs us. More importantly, our community needs Jesus. And so we're in a time of prayer and discerning of our own, praying about what comes next and where we go from here. And so Paul and his team, they're praying, they're discerning here in Acts 16. And in verse 9, Paul gets a vision from God and he tells Paul and his team to travel to Macedonia to a community called Philippi. Now, as you can see here from the map, uh, Philippi was located kind of as a part of a metropolitan area. It's noted by the, the city of Neapolis here on the map. It was kind of like Hamilton County. It was a, a very very desirable place to live. It was a Roman colony, and Roman soldiers went there to retire. So think pickleball and lots of golf carts and all those kinds of things. There was a lot of promise when it came to the community of Philippi, but as far as Paul and his team knew, there were no Christians, there were no churches or even synagogues in Philippi, and so this is new territory for the gospel. Some of you, many of you, as we've noted just a moment ago, uh, helped Genesis take new territory when this church was planted 20 years ago. This is new territory for Paul and for his team, but it's not about starting a worship service for them. This is about people sharing the gospel with others. This is disciple making at its best, and we're going to meet three specific lives changed by the gospel in Philippi today. Let's pick it up in verse 13. Here's what we read. On the Sabbath, we, all right, this is Paul and his team, went outside the city gate to the river in this area of Philippi where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Theatira, a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Now, you got to take note here that this is a really big deal in this culture because men didn't associate with women, especially in a public sense. But now that Paul has found new life in Jesus Christ, his perspective on how to engage people has greatly changed. See, Christianity offered a new perspective on men and women and how we are one in Jesus Christ. And we see it happening with this group of women in Philippi and one woman in particular, a woman by the name of Lydia. Now, who's she? Well, we're making some assumptions here, so just bear with me. But I imagine Lydia as someone whose external life would potentially give the impression that she's got it all together. Because of what she's done, she, we, we know she was a smart motivated, educated woman, very respected. She's a business person, specifically a dealer, as the text says, in purple cloth, which wasn't cheap, meaning she's probably wealthy. The fact that she's from Theatira might indicate that she's got a home there and maybe a home or at least family here in Philippi. We also know and assume that she's religious but she hadn't heard the gospel message of Jesus yet. And so in the midst of a very complex, polytheistic world, her actions indicate that God's working on her heart, that the Holy Spirit is already there preparing people, preparing hearts, and she's drawn to this one that the Jews called Yahweh. And how do things change for her? As the text says, the apostle Paul engages her, and while he's speaking to her, the Lord opens her heart heart. Don't overlook the impact of Lydia finding her way back to God because in verse 15 we read, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. See, not only did the gospel impact Lydia, but it's going to reach her whole family and they're all going to be baptized. And you know what? Some of you, in a very personal way, you can relate to Lydia's story. 
because maybe you grew up around church. Maybe you grew up around religion, but until recently, you would say, you know what, I was just doing life and just going through the motions here in Hamilton County, but something incredible has changed for you. One day, and maybe through your time here at Genesis Church, something clicked in your life and you began to realize that life is so much more than cars and homes and accumulation and kids. It's so much more than just going to a worship service on Sundays that Christianity is about following Jesus and helping others know him too. And so you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you were baptized and so you're not just doing time on the earth anymore, you're living for Jesus. And you're doing the hard work of making disciples of others and also realizing then that there are others like you and like me, people that are just going through the motions of life even today. They might even say that they believe in Jesus, but they've never surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. And we're reminded today, and maybe even as a person is coming to mind for you, we're reminded that there's still work to do that people still need to find their way back to God. I wonder if you know somebody specifically this morning, if there's a name, if there's a face that comes to mind. Let's look at a second encounter in Acts chapter 16 here in Philippi. Pick it up in verse 16. The writer continues, uh, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. And so she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. And she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. If Lydia gives us the impression of having it all together. This girl, well, honestly, she's probably living a nightmare. And she's likely a teen. We know that she has a demon. Which she's a slave, as the writer says, which means she's a, a captive. And she's not on her way to a prayer meeting. Instead, she's antagonizing Paul. Saul, or, or scholars uh, say she's mocking him. She's a cynic with her words. And I love the honesty in the text when it says that Paul got annoyed with her. Any of you ever get annoyed with some people? I get annoyed with some people from time to time. Notice that it's not compassion or love for her. Paul is annoyed with her, yet through the grace of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul orders the demon to come out, and it did, and we're led to believe that things are never going to be the same for this woman ever again. Some of you were saved like this woman was saved. Your life was a mess. It was falling apart. You tried everything you could to, to fix it, to numb, uh, numb the pain, to uh, cover up the past, but nothing seemed to work. But then Jesus Christ came crashing into your life, and he saved you, and now he's healing you, and he's redeeming your life, he's redeeming your past, and today you have new hope and you have the promise of eternal life because of the powerful work of Jesus Christ. If, if you have a story like that and your life has changed, there's a, a chance you're even more aware of people in our community right now that are stuck and trapped and misled like this young girl. Like We all know this, like the world is hard and, and, and there are so many lost today. There are so many people that are discouraged right now. Our, our schools, students, our schools are filled with young men and women who are making destructive harmful decisions with their lives and with their bodies and like this girl in acts jesus is the answer 
Jesus is the answer and the hope that we need, that we all need. And that's why we're here, Genesis. And that's why there's still work to be done. One more encounter from this chapter. Pick it up in verse 19. We read, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. And so the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Person number three, encounter number three, is this Philippian jailer. Now, here's the thing. Within the Roman Empire, jailers were often highly decorated soldiers, and as a part of their retirement plan, were given jails to run. And because Rome was so brutal and so harsh, and because Roman soldiers were often on the front lines carrying out all of this terror, well, I, all, I think we all know or could at least imagine what those experiences might do to a person over the course of years and due to their heart. I imagine a jailer with a cynical attitude about life, about people, calloused, critical, and angry, not trusting at all. And we read that this jailer puts Paul and Silas in jail, specifically the inner cell. All right, they've already been beaten. And according to Pastor J.D. Greer, the inner cell was the lowest, most isolated part of the jail. It was dark and damp. This is where the sewage and other bodily fluids would flow, an absolutely disgusting place. And so not only were they flogged, but Paul and Silas were also placed in the stocks. Now, don't think stocks like you and your sibling climbed into one year at Holiday World and had your picture taken, you know, by mom and dad. No, Roman stocks were chains hung from the ceiling. They'd lay you on your back and hook your ankles and your arms to the chains and then hoist you into the air and then stretch you into all sorts of difficult, painful positions. That's the scene, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas, what are they doing they're praying, and they're singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword. He was about to kill himself because he thought the other prisoners had escaped, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. You see, in those days, if you ran a jail and you lost the prisoners, you paid a price with your life. And so the jailer's afraid for his life, but why is Paul still there? Why didn't Paul and Silas run? We really don't have time to get into this, so I'm going to keep it very brief because it's worth saying. I don't want to go through hard times. And I know that you would say you don't want to go through hard times either, but as we see with Paul and as we see in so many other places in the book of Acts, and really history for that matter, I just want to remind you today that God will not waste your suffering. All right, he's not going to waste the, the difficult times that we go through, the trials and the temptations. If we will trust him, God will not waste your suffering. That even in the most difficult times, like God can use you. He can use your obedience and your faith in him to help other people find their way back to God. And so no matter what it is right now in your life, keep trusting the Lord. 
pray for feet for the journey, like even in the difficult times that you go through, because God will not waste your suffering. Paul didn't want to be in prison. Man, he'd rather be out sharing the good news of Jesus with others, but he also realized that God can use our suffering and our trials. He can use the ups and downs, the detours, and the hard times of life, and he's certainly done that at Genesis over the years. He's used some hard times. He's used some loss. There's been property acquisitions that have fallen through. He used, well, he even used a pandemic to draw people back to himself, and he's done that through you, and he's done that through our church. And so Paul recognizes that God has a plan, that even in the most difficult times, and so Paul calls out to the jailer, verse 29, the jailer called for the lights, look what he does, he rushes in, he falls trembling before Paul and Silas, it says, he then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? There is something about you and the way you live your life that is intriguing to me, I want what you have, what must I do to be saved? And Paul replies then, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Man, don't miss the jailer's response. He's not worried about them initially. He's worried about his own life. He asks the question, what must I do? And you know what? That's the crazy thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news about it is that it's not about what we do. It's all about what Jesus has done and what he's done for you and what he's done for me. See, Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. Uh, the power of the gospel message is that he gave his life on the cross. He defeated death once and for all, and you and I could never do anything like that. Like, there's nothing that we can do, any of us can do to make ourselves right before God. Only Jesus can. It's only about what he has done. It's about the work of Jesus. And so the only thing that we bring is our faith and our surrender and our trust. And in a crazy sort of way, you know what? Some of you were saved just like the jailer was. You were saved from your doubts. You were saved from things like your questions. You know, maybe something like bitterness had a hold of your life or cynicism or skepticism. You, you had questions that you had to work through, resentment to overcome. You're just the kind of person, you don't believe anything easily and you weren't about to make an emotional decision when it comes to Jesus Christ, but then he rushed into your life. And maybe God used a group of men or maybe he used a group of women or others to influence you. He rescued you. He tore away the chains and set you free once and for all. Lots of people trusted Jesus during Paul's teachings, his encounters, and missionary activities. But I love that Acts chapter 16 slows down just enough to introduce us to three people from Philippi, three people who will likely make up the team to start the church in Philippi to three people whose lives were forever changed by Jesus. Why are they there? They remind us of this. Like Lydia, you and I might look like at times that we've got it all put together, but if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, there is something greatly incomplete. Or like the slave girl, you, you might feel broken, going nowhere, but then Jesus healed you. He can heal you. He can heal those in your life and set you free. Or like the jailer, maybe your past has left you calloused, critical, and angry. But Jesus has come. He's come to save even you, to save you from your past and to make us brand new, a new creation in him. Three stories. Why are they there? Again, they're meant to remind us, to show us 
that no one is beyond the reach of the good news of Jesus Christ. There is no one. The good news of Jesus is for all people. And if we get real personal, that means that the good news of Jesus is for your dad or your mom or that family member that doesn't yet know the Lord. Maybe there's a child in your life that refuses to believe or who has walked away uh, from the faith. The, the good news of Jesus is for your neighbor or your, your coworker, the, the students that, that you do life with, the students on your team. The good, the good news of Jesus is for your teacher or that young teenage girl in your life that's questioning everything right now. The good news of Jesus is capable of reaching the filthiest person you know or that one person that you gave up on a long time ago. For us here at Genesis, these past 20 years are a testimony of what God is capable of doing. And that means your life and my life and our stories and our testimonies are all an example, a great example of what only God can do. I've, I've heard many of the stories over the years. I hope you've heard a bunch of those stories. You've certainly seen it with your own eyes. I wanna make sure you know the story of Mike. Mike showed up to our Genesis Noblesville campus earlier this year. Some of you that attend our Noblesville campus uh, know him. You welcomed him. Uh, Mike told us that he had never been to church in his entire life. And as we got to know him, as many of you got to know him, he shared that he was searching for something and he felt drawn to Genesis because his house was just down the street from our church, Mike immediately started asking questions about Jesus and began to recognize his own brokenness, and he continued visiting on Sundays. He even came to one of our worship nights, and I, I think it was Justin that sat down with him or Steve and kind of warned him, hey, this might be a different experience for you if you've never done this before, and people are going to have their hands up in the air, and I love this. Mike, Mike was quoted as saying, hey, if you ever see me raising my hands, call 911 because it means I need help, like there's, there's something wrong with me. But after many conversations and a lot of people praying, Mike gave his life to Jesus and was baptized in April, uh, just a few months ago. Mike kept attending, but then he disappeared. We noticed that he wasn't coming around and not knowing where he was, Justin showed up to his house one day, I think it was in June, and learned that Mike, well, what he thought was actually arthritis turned out to be in a aggressive form of cancer, and aggressive it was because Mike died in July, just a few months after his baptism. And what a picture of the Lord's grace and love to have drawn Mike to himself and given him you know, the assurance of eternity before the end of his life. This man who had never been to church before never trusted Jesus, found his way back to God through Genesis Church. And I had this thought the other day that Genesis helped introduce Mike to Jesus. And only in a God sort of way now, Mike, well, he may welcome all of us into heaven to eternity with him and so many others that have gone before us one day. Mike's story is one of so many of people finding their way back to God. Genesis Church, we have so much to be thankful for, but we're not done yet. There's still work to do, and until Jesus returns or our time on this earth comes to an end, we, like Paul and this team, like this church in Philippi, we've got lots of work to do. And so as we close this morning, 
I want to get you thinking. I want to get you praying about somebody in your life, somebody very specific right now in your life that doesn't yet know the power of Jesus Christ. And Jerry's going to come up. He's going to come up to wrap up this moment with us and then lead us in prayer. But I, I just want to remind you that God wants to use you the same way he used Paul, the way that he likely used Lydia, this young teenage girl, and this jailer. He wants to use each and every one of us. Jerry. So Genesis, we have a lot to be thankful for today. We've, uh, we've gathered together. We've sang to God. We've heard from his word. I want to give you a moment where you sit to stop and thank him for something in your life. A couple things. Thank him for what he's done in your life. If you're following Jesus, if you know Jesus. And take a moment to thank him for the impact that Genesis Church has had on your life. So thank him. Take a moment. Close your eyes, bow your heads if you need to, but thank God for a few different things. And then we're going to come back and we're going to wrap up in prayer together. Father, we thank you for this time today where we've come together as uh, one church family to sing to you, to worship you, to hear from your word, to celebrate 20 years of, of your faithfulness to Genesis, but it's just a small picture of your faithfulness to mankind. So we want to say thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for an amazing church like this where we can find a place where we can become part of a body that's so much bigger than ourselves. Thank you for what you've done, and we look forward to what you're going to continue to do. Now, earlier this year, when we launched into the book of Acts, we shared a prayer. It's called our everyday prayer. I'm going to have it up here on the screen for you. And we've, we've modified it a little bit as we head into the fall. You notice there's a blank space there. I'm going to give you a moment in your seat. I want you to pray and I want you to ask God to bring some names to mind. Friends, neighbors, coworkers, family members that do not know Jesus. They're running away from him or they've been hurt and they don't know where to turn. One of the, one of the disciple-making principles that we see over and over again in Scripture is focusing on a few. And we want to be a disciple-making church. And so I want to give you a moment. Just I, I want you to be bold and say, God, will you show me who these people are? And I want you to come back with one name. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to have God reveal one name to you. So take a moment and pray and see who he brings to mind. We've all been that one name for someone. So here's what we're going to do as a church family. We're going to pray this everyday prayer out loud together. And when we get to the blank space, I just want you to say your person's name out loud. We're going to declare that today, that God is going to use you. He's going to use us to reach those people. And imagine what could happen over the next 20 years as the Holy Spirit through us reaches out to the people 
around us and he works through their lives and through the people in their lives and through the people in their lives. Imagine what could happen 20 years from now, five years from now. So would you join me in praying this prayer out loud together? Father in heaven, thank you for saving me. I want you to do for others what you've done for me. Use me today to help know you. Let's pray that last line one more time. Pray it a little louder. This is your name. This is somebody in your life that God wants to use you to reach. Use me today. Know you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this mission of making disciples that you have given us. We're thankful that we get to see it play out through the book of Acts. We get to see your Holy Spirit dwelling inside of your believers, moving all across the earth to take the message of the gospel, the name of Jesus, to places like Philippi and Corinth, but also to Hamilton County, to Noblesville, to Carmel. Lord, would you please use us, would you continue to use us to make your name great? Would you help us to be your light bearers everywhere that we go? Jesus, you are the light of the world. And yet you tell us in the Sermon on the Mount, you tell your followers, you are the light of the world. You have placed your light inside of us. So help us to be light bearers everywhere that we go. Holy Spirit, will you shine brightly through us so that when people see us, they see Jesus. When people interact with Genesis, they don't think about Genesis, they think about Jesus. And we ask you to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine for the glory of your great name, Jesus. We love you. Thank you for 20 amazing years in this church family. Would you continue to lead us and to guide us in the days and in the weeks and in the months and in the years to come until your return, Jesus? We love you. It's in your name we pray. All right.